Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your hands. Let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work Ram Zone. I hope you're never the same. We have a very special guest on our show today. We've got Paul Larson, Vice President of Strategic and Faith-Based Partnerships at Cheetah Development. Now, we had Cheetah Development on earlier this year, talking about the amazing work they're doing in Tanzania. Tanzania is a country on the continent of Africa. Before we bring Paul on, I want to read this scripture verse. Matthew 25, 40. The king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And that's what uh, Cheetah Development's doing each and every day for the least of these. Paul Larson, Cheetah Development, welcome to I Work For Him. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Just excited to have you on here, Paul. I, I know that there's probably, other than Raymond Hard, there's nobody as passionate about Cheetah Development. And I'm so excited just to share the vision of, of what God is doing in Tanzania and how you're using people from all over the all over the United States to help support that work. But it's it's not just your typical missionary work, and so I'm excited for people to, to hear about it. But first I want people to hear how Christ is, how did you come to know Christ and how's he making a difference today? Because there's, there's two different questions there. So how did you first come to be a believer? Well, listen, I was uh, very blessed to come from, you know, a legacy of four generations of, of um, faithful worshipers of Jesus. My grandfather was uh, head of a company that did a lot of printing for Billy Graham Association and so on. So we, we go way back, but you know, I had inherited my parents' faith. 
I was very well behaved as a kid, and I think they would actually agree. <laughs> but it wasn't about the rules. I, I started learning in college. You know, the good news isn't as good if you don't know what the bad news is. And just seeing and understanding the depth of, of my depravity and, 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 and found out that it wasn't my activities, it wasn't my good works, but it was all God's work changing my heart. And um, that, that was really a turning point for me. And now, you know, I serve, a, I serve a happy God, a God that's not frustrated, and He's not surprised by things. And He will accomplish all of His purposes. My care is whether He does it through me or in spite of me. I like to, I like to, I, I love that thought. And through me or in spite of me. And I, and I really like to be out of God's way and just doing what he wants me to do. But I know that there's times he has to work in spite of me. And, and, I, and that's embarrassing. So talk about today, the difference that Christ has made in your life today. As a grown adult working in an incredible ministry, how is Christ making an impact each and every day of your life? Well, you know, each day requires a lot of prayer. Um, we're working with the poorest of the poor, and it's very easy to look at the poor as a, quote, problem to solve or, or, or mouths to feed, and that's very dehumanizing. So I find myself every day praying that my love for the poor of Africa would grow, because without love, it's just a crashing noise, right? That's right. A banging, a clanging cymbals, a banging, a pounding drum or something like that. Yes, absolutely. All right, so... I love that. Thank you so much for that update. Now, let's talk about Cheetah Development. I had Raymond Ard, your founder, on earlier this year, and I was so excited about what he told out. But, of course, in an hour, you can't really scratch the surface for the really cool stuff that you guys are doing. And because this is a show on Christ followers in business, what you guys do each and every day is you develop economy. I mean, you're, you're really building up a nation. So just let's just a really quick start because we got 30 seconds till our break. Give us a little bit of an update. What's the latest and greatest things going on with Cheetah Development today? Wow, there's a lot. Um, so just pick one. one. Just model, pick one thing. Well, um, we're we're really being noticed by some of the top development NGOs, some of the top community development groups, uh, both faith-based and non. And they're asking us to come in and partner with them. And I can get into more details later. Good. So I don't know what an NGO is. So tell me what an NGO is. A non-government organization. Okay. All right. Basically, think about World Vision. Okay. All right, we're talking today with Paul Larson. He's the Vice President of Strategic and Faith-Based Partnerships from Cheetah Development. CheetahDevelopment.org. Listen, they're solving poverty in the third world not by sending money and not by sending food. They're building economies over there. All right, so I, I interrupted you about the latest and greatest going on at Cheetah Development. So what's going? you started talking about non-government organizations starting to pay attention to what you're doing there with Cheetah Development. How, you know, tell me, what, what's going on? Well, the way that looks is they've been, they've been organizing groups of, of small farmers for many years and handing out seed and hand tools and so on. But while that gives people a few more calories, it doesn't change them economically. They haven't advanced economically. You can't really change economies just by redistributing stuff. Um, so it's exciting. We're, we're partnering with these organizations, coming into their big groups that they've organized and actually moving these, launching these people out of, out of poverty with much higher incomes. A second group that's picked up on this are, are large groups of, of, of actually uh, money managers, private equity managers uh, that have launched impact funds. They're seeing the promise 
of, of doing well financially while doing good. And um, they've come alongside now, and they want to deploy lots of capital to this. And there's even big companies, big big agriculture companies and so on, that are trying to find out how they can take hold and, and launch this, the poorest of the poor forward. Many people don't know this, and this is an important thing to understand. Two-thirds of the poor in the world are out in the middle of nowhere with an acre of land and a homemade hoe. They are not in a shadow city somewhere stumbling over each other. They are out in the middle of nowhere, and that's why we work on farming, because that's their only opportunity to create value. Well, and that's what I really love about Shady Development. I love the fact that you guys are not just sending money. You're not just bringing food. You're really trying to solve the problems that poverty of poverty, which is which is really a condition of the heart, and it's a condition based on where where these people are at. Like you said, there's there's all these billions of people with an acre of land, and they but they there's there as you said to me on the on the phone a couple months ago when I first started interviewing you said for half the year they got too much food, and the other half of the year they starve. Yes, um, that's that's we call that the, the haves, the four haves of the have not. <laughs> if that makes sense to you, it does. Um, yeah, half the year is is a famine. You know, famines don't just come from wars or droughts. They come; they're on the calendar. It's called dry season. Right. As a matter of fact, Jim, I understand you're from Minnesota. I am from frozen tundra. You bet. Well, you know, we have a famine every year from November to May, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, because all the liquid comes down in white flakes. That's right. right. Well, we have a famine, and, and, and it's worse than Africa's famine, because if you don't have a warm place to stay, you'll die. But why doesn't it feel like a famine? Well, it doesn't feel like a famine because we can grow enough for all year. We find ways to process, store it, and move it around. And guess what? All of those steps are businesses. And so by bringing those links to the value chain in, we can, we can, we can do away with the idea of famine. All right, I'm writing that down, links in the value chain, because that's really a concept most people are going, but I don't get it. And people know that I'm passionate about workplace ministry. I'm passionate about ways for people to put their faith into action. And there's a lot of people listening to the show today that every day go to work and they never think about the fact that there's other people in other countries that just don't even know how to work or they've never been given the tools to work. And really in our own country, there's a lot of this plague, the famine that goes on in our inner cities where people don't haven't been given the right tools to, to create the economy. Let's just step back for a minute though, Paul, and talk about cheated development. Where did the idea come from that you weren't going to just send money anymore? You were going to try to solve the problems of poverty by building small economies within these cities in, in Tanzania. Well, historically I'm a student of economics. Okay. And historically every successful economy succeeded when people could actually create value, not just extract it, not just steal it or redistribute it, but actually create it. And so we're trying to focus on what has worked over and over again for thousands of years. And so there's the answer to, you know, why don't you just hand money out? But actually, Ray Menard was in Tanzania about seven years ago on a mission trip. And as an entrepreneur and business development consultant, he saw incredible amounts of opportunity. And he saw incredible amounts of poverty, but he didn't see anybody connecting the two. And so even though he had no intention at that time, 
uh, to come back to Africa. God worked on him, and within about six months, he was back there and uh, just toiled for years, uh, failing for years until the models came together. And now, four years later, I think I think our impact is about 250,000 people, I believe. Wow. So you mean you've built an economy that now involves 250,000 people? Is that what you mean? No, no. Um, we've got thousands of small farmers who have moved from 10 acres of corn per acre to over 100, right? And now because they're profitable, they can hire other people. Because those people uh, have a job with actual income, they can buy food. So the reverberations is the wealth that's been created, the value that's been created is feeding uh, this many people who used to be just kind of sitting around hoping for a meal somehow. Wow. That's got to really touch your heart when you start to see that you're really making a difference. I mean, a quarter of a million people is a lot of people. That's a lot of people. I know that's a small piece compared to all of Africa. But when when we talked, let's just talk about Africa as a whole, because there's some big there's some areas that are heavily developed in Africa. Obviously, South Africa's got industry, but the most part of Africa is rural, isn't it? Yes, it is. But what people need to understand is that Africa has over 25% of the world's high-grade farmland. They have more farmland. They have two and a half times as much high-quality farmland than we do here in the U.S. But yet, and they have, so they have enough land and water resources to feed five times their population. But guess what? They're importing almost 80% of their food. And is that because they don't have access to their water? I mean, I mean, I know that digging wells is one of those things, not just everybody could just dig wells. I mean, is, is, is the water the problem, or is it just they, don't, they need to be educated, they don't have access to the seed? What is, is there any one issue, or is it a lot of issues? Well, it's a combination of those issues, but it's not a matter of digging water. It's a matter of the rain that runs off and goes into rivers and ends up in the ocean because it's not managed. Oh. So you don't value something, you don't manage it. But it's all the steps in the value chain. It's not just seed. You need fertilizer, too. You grow grain year after year on land with no fertilizer. You just emasculate the land. It's no good anymore. And so, but but fertilizer to plant an acre of corn, the seed and fertilizer cost two hundred dollars. Well, these are people that have never seen twenty dollars at one time in their life. How are they supposed to plant an acre of corn adequately? And so we've come up with financing that helps that happen. And then when they do multiply their yield by ten. We have ways to aggregate that and go get good prices for that land for that grain because now they have more than they need. Now they now they have something to sell and, and, and profit from. So it's it's all those links in the chain. Everything from getting fertilizer and seed to them to the the agronomy, the the the, the training to the marketing of it and moving it around. Like, like I said before, preserving it and moving it around. Well, I mean, can't we just send money and solve that problem? I mean, it seems like you just talk about all things that are solvable with money. So you can send money, but then they're going to have to buy the grain somewhere. And so many times what we're really sending is a bunch of American grain over there. And then we dump grain uh, in these countries. Then it competes against the few farmers that are trying to make it work. So you're actually putting you're actually putting your farmers out of business when you take when you take grain and gifts from somewhere else. So your whole idea is to create self-sustaining economies that don't need the help from the United States. 
Yes. You know, I did a study not long ago, figured out how much money could possibly be available to aid in charity. How much, If we took all the money sitting in checking accounts and, and so on, and individuals, how much money would that be? And I figured out if you divided that up by 7 billion people, you'd run out of money in three weeks. If you're just tuning in now, we've got Paul Larson from Cheetah Development on the air today with us. And we're talking about using our business skills to change people's lives. Now, we talk about doing that in the United States all the time, but how about teaching people on other continents how to know what we know so that they can support themselves? Paul Arson, welcome back to I Work For Him. Thanks again. You know, what I love about what Cheetah Development is doing, and people can find out more about you at cheetahdevelopment.org, is that you're not just sending money. Uh, Raymond R. didn't say, hey, let's just write him a check. He said, let's solve this problem. Let's not perpetuate a problem because we all know welfare doesn't work and we've created welfare states not only in our own country but in countries around the world where where they're dependent on us to send food and us to send clothing and us to send money and and because we send free food we destroy the opportunity for them to actually make a living but what you guys are trying to do is stop the perpetuation of stupid and actually start helping people live lives uh, and really start to live in abundancy. Yes. Yes. So talk to me I, about the approach because we got people probably tuning in just right now, Paul, talk about the approach that cheetah development takes and is taking in Tanzania. Well, again, because two thirds of the poor are small, tiny farmers, this is worldwide. You know, that means it's the biggest single occupation in the world. So what more people in the world do than anything else is farm themselves into starvation. That's a sobering thought. But what we've done is we explain. Just okay, well, stop there for a second. I got to stop yeah. that, and I apologize. But farming somebody into star farming themselves into starvation that doesn't make sense because if you're farming, you can grow what you need to grow, and then you get to eat it. So how do you farm yourself into starvation? That doesn't make sense to me. Well, remember when I said when you farm a piece of ground year after year after year with no fertilizer. You take all the nutrients out of it. Your yield is dropping like a rock. And so this is what's happened. People have farmed these plots for 20 or 30 years, and they get very little yield. The erosion has taken, taken the topsoil away, et cetera. So they really are they are farming themselves into starvation in that respect. And, and do they, how do I don't know how ownership rules work in, uh, in Africa, and I know every, there's lots of different countries in Africa, of course. How do they do they own that piece of land or are they renting that piece of land from the government? How do they actually get the first acre land that they have? You know, there's a lot of land in these areas um, and each country has got different rules about private property and, and title and all this. And those are big issues to work through, too. But it almost doesn't matter when you're talking about the poorest of the poor because no one wants their land. And we're not trying to we're not trying to get them to go from one or two acres to two or three hundred acres or a thousand acres. We're trying to help them flourish on the one or two acres they do have. All right. So you're, you and what I love is that when you guys come in with a solution, you're not just bringing it. Like I said, you're not you're not selling them seed and saying, "Okay, here you go." You're you're trying to create the economy around agriculture. I mean, you're not just you're not just training farmers. You're trying to train people to actually be business people that can gather all. I mean, to, I mean, talk about what you're doing. You're you're almost creating a city economy in order to make this work. 
Well, it'd be a, it certainly would be a small-town economy because in this country, if you had 200 acres of land, you could go to a small-town bank and say, I want to plant some corn, and they'd say, here, and you'd fill out a one-page application and then give you the money. They wouldn't think twice about it because we've been doing this for 150 years. But over there, if you go into the bank and say, I want to borrow some money to plant some corn, the bank looks at you like you're from Mars. And so what we've had to do is we've had to create models in order that the banks will get will 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 feel comfortable loaning money to groups of smart farmers so they can buy the inputs the agricultural inputs they need to grow a profitable crop so you're are you guys teaching bankers how to do bank loans in some ways yeah okay. in some cases yeah so, so are helping you... develop the collateral and so on that's necessary and then there's about 30 things we do to make sure those loans get paid back by those farmers so they can borrow enough to plant two acres next year. So you're, you're, you're teaching bankers about bank loans. You're teaching them how to create an agri- agriculture economy. But you're also, now then you're also like creating the ag co-op. Like we'd have in a small town. I, I, I lived the last four years in southwestern Minnesota, so I, I, I am very familiar with small town Minnesota. So there's always one place, a co-op, where people go and they can buy their seed and the seed gets delivered out to their plot, and they can buy their fertilizer, and it gets delivered out to their plot, and, and, and all of that comes, I mean, there's like one central place. Have you guys created that? It's almost like a seed store. Is that what you guys well, are doing? We've, yeah, we've, we're creating models like co-ops, but you have to be careful to the culture there, because most of these countries had a period of time when they were run by Marxists, and co-ops were actually the most corrupt organizations there were and so you have to be somewhat sensitive about the language you use but yeah we are actually creating community companies then that um that that help oversee this and so effectively it's like a co-op yeah okay all right well yeah and and (laughs) we're not broadcasting in africa so i guess i'm okay but i understand what you're saying that's the culture so how did you guys learn how did you guys learn to adapt to the business culture there so you could help them i mean how'd you learn that stuff well, it's after several years of, of failure. You know, we didn't go over there with a bunch of money and say, hey, we're going to set up business. We went over there and tried to figure things out and try this and try that and try the other thing. Um, I've only been with Cheetah a few years. I actually started down this road 12 years ago. We went into uh, eastern Ukraine after the Soviet Union collapsed, and it left all this all this farmland. With, you know, the, the, the agriculture was just a smoldering heap. And we helped put that land back into production. And then about seven years ago, I was in Mozambique building a big farm. But I realized that while it's important that we have commercial farming, uh, there's hundreds, literally hundreds of millions of people in Africa that uh, have no way out except farming. They may not like them, but it's it's the first step out because they can't get paid for anything else until there's profit in the community to be paid. And so it's a it's a it's a it's a challenge of creating incomes, and uh, farming does that for people. So are you guys? So so you're creating these community companies that that distribute seed. You're teaching bankers how to do bank loans and understand agricultural loans. Um, are you guys? Uh, then do you guys like have your own like Mills Fleet Farm? That's a Minnesota chain. Uh, Mills Fleet Farm. Then to, for people can go and buy all the, the the tools they need in order to harvest this stuff. I mean, are, are you guys trying to create all of that? No, we're not moving them. We're not moving up to a me- some level of, of mechanization that you're maybe imagining. Again, no, I was thinking about a, people, instead. You said a homemade hoe. I'm thinking we're at Mills Fleet Farm. You can go at least buy a hoe. You, know, <laughs> you get a better hoe. Yeah, yeah. sure. 
that's what that's what I meant. No, not mechanization because that yeah. that that involves fuel distribution, and other things. Is there is that a long term plan to be able to make it like that, or you want to be able to not impact their culture so negatively by eliminating their their one acre plots? You know, we'll 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 help with that, and we're able to help with that. But for us, it's it's helping the one or two acre farmer thrive. And uh, some of those are going to aggregate more land and they're going to get more professional. Others are going to get different jobs because now there's other jobs available because there's money in the economy. You know, I think one of the things you said earlier on the show that I want to repeat in case somebody just turned back, uh, turned, just turned on is, is how much water and farming resources there are in Africa. I mean, go ahead and tell your statistic. You said, well, go ahead. How much farmland is in Africa? Well, it's uh, two and a half billion acres. Compare that to what we have here in the United States. We got a little over three hundred million. Wow! So they, wow! So they have they have two and a half times as much high grade farmland. They have three times as much water, and they have a better climate for farming. They really should be leaders in agriculture, and someday they will be. It's just that the large farms that are being built are primarily being built by the Chinese and the Indians and the Arabs, and they're not really interested necessarily in the good of Africa. They're interested in having enough food for themselves to eat. We're talking with Paul Larson from Cheetah Development. These guys have been searching and researching for the last seven years on how to solve the problem of poverty without just sending money. Because money doesn't solve poverty. Money perpetuates poverty. When you send money, and they buy, I mean, it just doesn't solve the problem. You need to teach people a trade. As I said, Paul, I believe the, I heard this growing up in Minnesota all the time. You know, give a man a fish, he eats for today. Teach a man a fish, he eats for a lifetime. Teach a man to sell fish, and that's really the answer. I think, actually, I think Ray said that on the air. Teach a man to sell yeah. fish. Yeah, we're in the business of teaching people to start a fishing business. Um, teaching a man to fish is still is still subsistence farming. And that's what we're trying to do. You've got two and a half billion or three billion acres of, of farmland in. That's just a staggering number because most people that are listening here in Tampa Bay, they have no idea what an acre is, let alone a quarter acre, a quarter section, or they, they don't know what a thousand. They don't know what it's like. But what I love is that you're, you're talking about taking acreage that is currently underperforming and teaching people how to make it perform the way God designed it to perform. Uh, and I just I didn't know that the climate in Africa was that better designed for farming than the climate climate here in the, in the United States. Oh, yes, much better, generally so, speaking. I mean, it's hard to compete with Iowa farmland. It is. But, but uh, you can compete with Iowa's climate. <laughs> yes, you could, certainly for five months of the year. All right, so l- listen, so th- it says in some of your brochures on your website, so the answer to poverty is business. Talk about how you guys are using business to solve the answer to poverty, but also on how you're using it as an entree to presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ and give people hope for eternity. Well, I started to say a while back that you could take all the money available to charity and put it all together and divide it up by 7 billion people and you'd run out of money in three weeks. We, we bought this idea that our spare change will help change poverty, and it really, it really doesn't. But if you if you figure out how much business capital there is in the world and divide that by seven billion, you come up with a hundred thousand dollars per man, woman, and child. You see, it's the capital markets that have always developed the world. The question is, is that capital coming from places? Is that coming from atheistic countries? Is it coming from Muslim countries, or is it coming from where could it come from a place that that loves Jesus? 
And this is uh, this is one of my big picture ideas. I'm trying to help American Christians understand that it's their investments that will make a difference in poverty, not their giving. Wow. Okay, but that's a new concept, though, Paul. That's like that's like saying, "Hey, we don't need the sun to grow anymore." That, that's it's that radical of a concept. We don't need your money. We need your investment. It's describe the difference there. Well, um, <clears throat> we are to be generous. But um, the little bit of money, the relatively little bit of money that we give relative to our economy, relative to our savings, et cetera, it's just it's really inconsequential. And as we've seen, if you're not careful, charity will create dependency and will perpetuate poverty. Okay? Um, I, I enjoy listening sometimes to some of the financial gurus on Christian radio, and I, but I've never heard any of them tell us that there's almost a trillion dollars sitting in the IRAs of Christian people. Nobody ever talks about how that money could be used to help the poor, to spread the kingdom, and still pay off when you need your retirement. But that's that. So you're right. It is a big change of thinking that people would have to go through. Well, there's a local organization. They're actually not local, but they've got a branch here from the National Christian Foundation here in Tampa Bay. And we've actually had them on the air several times. And in Tampa Bay alone, there are almost $300 billion, with a B, of frozen Christian assets in Tampa Bay. Yeah. That's a staggering number. So your $1 trillion number, you multiply that by the number of people and Christ followers around the nation, that number is a lot bigger than $1 trillion. That number is in the... 15 or 20 trillion dollar number. It's it's a big big number. So well, I was just talking about uh, I know you said just IRA, you said yeah, I know you said just <laughs> IRAs and I just want to make sure people understood that was just IRAs. What about all the other stupid the extra houses that are sitting here and this and that and so talk about but what it means though instead of to give but to invest. How, what do you mean by invest? Well, this is these are high risk investments because um, you know, we're investing in a developing world and we actually use philanthropy too. We use philanthropy, and we use that money, but we don't give any of it away. What we do is we use that money to incubate these small businesses, okay? And then when these businesses, the ones that uh, are successful and need to expand, we actually have an a, uh, impact fund that in people have invested money in, and then that fund will invest in the expansion of those businesses, and those people expect a return. So we really have been able to use both. It's almost a hybrid approach, but we expect in the next four or five years we won't we won't even be we won't even be taking donations. Really, <laughs> that's staggering. And that's well, okay, but maybe the, after you've succeeded in what you're doing in Tanzania and you started to grow that model out there, th- then there'll be another country that you can go test. Maybe you'll need donations for the next country to get started. Talk to me about how this is an entree to bring the gospel, because it, Jesus said, "Listen, you, you got to feed, you got to feed, you got to clothe them, you got to provide shelter for them, and then they're going to hear the truth of the gospel." How is this helping you guys bring the gospel to Tanzania? Well, you know, my work uh, is driven by the, what I call the first great commission and the second great commandment. I ask people what the first great commission is, and they tell me it's Matthew twenty-eight, but the word commission isn't even in the Bible, Jim. Uh, But what it is, it's a mandate or an assignment. And the first assignment God gave mankind was in the first chapter of the Bible, in Genesis 1.28. After making man in his own image, he said, get to work, be creative and productive. Tim Keller has a good way of describing this, what we call the cultural mandate. He says it's a command to take the raw material of creation 
and organize it so human beings will flourish as images of God. So to the, to the extent that you hinder people and their ability to, to thrive and flourish, and thriving, nobody thrives until they produce more than they consume. Okay, right. so it's driven by that commitment comes right out of the first chapter of the Bible. And of course, the second great commandment is the command to love your neighbor as yourself. And I would think that your listeners are not interested. They don't love their children in a way that makes them dependent down the road. They love their children in a way where they'll be thriving because they'll be producing and creating more than they consume. And so um, to truly love our neighbor as ourselves. We would want for our neighbor the same thing we would want for ourselves. And so those two things work together. We're not evangelists, Jim, uh, but we work with churches that are already in Africa. There's villages where our workers have been able, now the church has been able to build a church, not because of donations from America, but because the people in the church are now have greater incomes. Um, that kind of thing is, is a testimony to the world that Christianity isn't just about in the sweet by and by after Jesus comes. It's about building the kingdom now. I, and that's and I've had guys on the air. We talk about kingdom building. I had a guy on the air, Reggie McNeil, not too long ago, talking about his great book, Kingdom Come. And it's all about the fact that the work of the kingdom is to do good works. And what you guys are doing is doing good works, which enables the gospel to flourish because people are able to experience life the way God intended it. And they're no longer being held down by really the evil we call poverty because people are entrapped by poverty. You mentioned to me on the air that you had a story that you could share. I believe the name was Jack. Kaniah and Jane, Mah- I can't pronounce her last name, Mahali. Talk about the success. Okay. Sorry, I, don't, I, I know I'm, I don't, I totally mutilated their name, but go ahead. <laughs> well, Jack and I was a man with five teenagers. And they eat a lot of food. And he has a grand total of about an acre and a half of land. And every year he was lucky to get seven bags of corn off that land. Now, this is a big bag. This is 250 kilograms, okay? But he was lucky to, if he would get six or seven. And that was not quite enough to feed his family. And we had come in and started working with some of his neighbors. And, and when he heard that these people were borrowing $200 to plant an acre of corn, he just couldn't, couldn't stomach that. That was too risky. He didn't want to lose everything. But after a few years, he saw what happened. And so he joined us. And, you know, the first year on his land, he grew over 25 ba- bags of corn. Now, five of those bags went to pay pay uh, uh, for the for the uh, seed. Or it took it took five of the bags to pay back the loan sure. that he borrowed. Okay, it took uh, he took uh, ten bags, stored it for the year so he'd have enough food, and the other ten bags he sold for two hundred eighty dollars, which means he put two hundred eighty dollars in the bank and had enough food for a year. Uh, after this is his first year, and the second year he put over five hundred dollars in the bank. Now, again, these are people that have never seen $20 at one time in their life. So that $280 that he had in the bank from that first year was enough for him to buy the seed for the seed and the fertilizer for the next year. Well, we actually uh, uh, organized it so he could buy, so he could plant twice as much. Oh. Okay. And um, uh, he was able to get another acre, and uh, that, that really kind of set him on his way. And now he doesn't have to decide whether to buy malaria medicine or whether to go hungry. Okay, mm-hmm. he doesn't get, have to decide which kid gets to go to school. 
Okay, he doesn't have to make those kind of decisions. This this is huge for folks like this. So how do they get the water though? Because everybody, whenever we are shown pictures of Africa, we're shown that it's like the Sahara. But I know that the Sahara is just in northern Africa, and and that the Sahara helps you know brew all those uh, hurricanes we got to deal with in Florida. But how do they get all the water? Where are they getting the water from? Well, we plant we, uh, planting seasons during the wet season. There's plenty of water. Okay, so it rains there often. Oh yeah. Okay. All right, so Tanzania, because for those of us geologically, uh, you know, geographically, <laughs> not geologically, geographically challenged, Tanzania, Central North Africa. We're I'm trying to picture where it is. It's uh, it's it's sub-Saharan Africa. It's East Africa. It's considered East Africa, about the middle middle of the continent, though, in the southern half of, the, of Africa. It's next to Kenya and Malawi, uh, not far from Mozambique. So what had you guys choose Tanzania? Was it just the, the happenstance of Ray going on that missions trip? Or, or, or I mean, is there, a, is there another country you're going to go to next after you've helped get Tanzania oh, yeah. rolling? We've already opened an office in Malawi. We'll be opening in Uganda by the end of the year. We've got partnerships coming together in Kenya and Mozambique as well. We're talking with Paul Larson with Cheetah Development. Paul, I want to talk about how... Christ following business people can get involved in what you're doing. Whether I mean, just describe that. How can we get involved? Well, as I mentioned, we are a, a nonprofit in the U.S. that starts for-profit businesses in Africa, and so we we do take donations. We use those donations to incubate these businesses. So we are interested in people's uh, philanthropy and, and donations. Um, but as these businesses take root, they need investment capital to expand. And if you happen to be an accredited investor, that is a higher net worth and able to take on a little extra risk, we have a way for you to invest in the businesses themselves. Uh, those people with business or engineering or agronomy skills or they know about logistics or product branding and stuff like that, you know, they might just ping us and say, here I am, I'm available, I've got so much, a certain amount of time, how can I help? Because we need these kinds of skills to move all of this, all of this forward. Uh, another thing to consider is, is maybe you sponsor an intern. We've got a lot of bright young people in Christian colleges working on, uh, uh, working on undergrad and graduate degrees, and they need internships. We need a whole generation of business people that would want to commit and invest their lives into this this huge country or this huge continent that that uh, has so much potential but is so dark today so that might be something someone would be able to do or, or would like to do it's fantastic. one thing everybody can do is pray for us as i said before my daily prayer is that my love for africans would grow we need wisdom and strength and diligence and resources and and uh, so we can certainly use your prayers. And I would say stand by because we are working on some on-ramps for more modest-sized investors. Um, uh, that's not put together yet. We've got to work through some regulatory things and so on. But there may be some ways that families can get involved with even just a few hundred dollars. And when you get to that spot, we want to come back on the air and talk about it. i got to say goodbye, Paul. Thank you so much for being on iWorkRim tonight. Thank you for all the work you're doing at Cheetah Development. Find out more about Paul and the ministry he works with at cheetahdevelopment.org. Thanks again, Paul. Great to talk to you, Jim. Bye. Hey, we, we got to consider not only how we can make an impact on our own city, ladies and gentlemen, but how we can make an impact on our country, on our world. And that's what we just heard about on cheetahdevelopment.org. How are we going to take this city for Christ?
You know, we learned today very specifically that our faith can not only impact our workplace, but the workplaces of people around the globe, right there in Tanzania. They need skills like logistics people, agronomists, engineers, people that just want to help sponsor interns, maybe just help with some of the business skills that they've been given. God can use those things to help other people learn how to do business in Africa and get themselves out of poverty. Make sure you check out Cheetah Development at cheetahdevelopment.org. Thanks to our sponsors today. Most Insurance, found online at mostins.com. And Bel Air Wealth Management, found online at belairwealthmanagement.com. And Crown College, found online at crown.edu forward slash radio. Thanks to, to Jose today for doing a great job. Keep me on time. Really just keep me under control. I know that that's more of an effort than anything. Hey, go out to our website tonight, please, if you would, iworkforhim.com, and consider joining the I Work For Him Nation. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower, and I own my own business, but I want to take this city because ultimately I work for him. Yeah.